I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our guest today is Rage Hezekiah. She's a New England-based poet and educator. Earned her MFA from Emerson College. Received fellowships from Kaveh Khanum, the McDowell Colony, and Ragdale. Her chapbook, Unslakeable, won the 2018 Bella Chapbook Award. And her recent book is called Stray Harbor. Her poems appeared on Poem A Day, Tri-Quarterly, and lots of other places. So, Rage, I'm so glad you could be here and we can do this. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, when I heard you read up in North Bennington, I immediately knew we had to do a podcast because <laughs> because I liked your poetry and then I project. I say, well, every, everyone else will like it. <laughs> Thank you. There I appreciate you that. It's very generous. <laughs> yeah. And I was going to ask you, uh, you should not make as much noise with the paper as I do, or my tech man will get mad. You said you grew up by the ocean, but here you are in a landlocked place. Uh, what's what's your uh, connection with the uh, with the ocean? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, yeah, I grew up by the ocean. I have always been. Um, I have always been in places where I feel very deeply connected to bodies of water. Um, the place I grew up was Salem, Massachusetts, which is right in the North Shore of Massachusetts. Super beautiful. Um, and I grew up right across the street from the beach. So I grew up, you know, a, a beach baby. Sweet. Yeah, a beach baby for sure. Um, and then have kind of like ping-ponged back and forth across the U.S. and spent a lot of time in, in California, loving up the Pacific Ocean. And um, the ocean is really my happy place. Um, I am in a landlocked place, but I feel very happy about the fact that there are lots of beautiful lakes and streams and rivers um, in this part of the world, so I've enjoyed that. Yeah, we've got pretty great nature. Oh my gosh, so amazing. <laughs> it's one of my favorite parts about living here, for sure. Um, another thing I learned about you, uh, reading uh, you know, online interviews and things like that, uh, you worked at farming and baking, and you were a doula. Mm-hmm. Now... When our son was born 28 years ago, no one mentioned doulas wow. in Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, how come? Is it new or just regionalish? That's such or... a good question. Um, I mean, I think I learned... Um, so a doula is like a, a birth assistant. Yeah. Um, I became a doula in the Bay Area of California, which is a very popular place to be a doula. <laughs> Um, I thought of that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it, it does seem like um, it's a it's a very holistic kind of way of looking at birth. Um, and I think that in in areas of the country where uh, medical birth practices are, are more um, are more standard, I think there's there's less focus on on doulas. Um, I. I have always been, I mean, I, I see like farming and baking and uh, being a doula and being a poet kind of all enmeshed in this um, area of uh, creation and fruition and, and bringing things into the world. And um, so I was attracted to being a doula in that way. And it was beautiful and life changing. And um, I am still a very birth obsessed person. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, for and, sure. And can you do it around here? Are there is it okay to do legal and all that? Um, so I there are there are certification boards that, where you can become um, what's called a, a well, DONA is one of the board certifications okay. that you can get. Um, you certainly can be. Um, DONA certified and, and work in all kinds of places. I never, um, I was an acting doula, but I never pursued formal gotcha. certification through gotcha. that board. Um, so, I mean, really, I would kind of say that that women have been assisting each other in birth for all of, of time. Um, and so, you know, I, I think I could call myself a doula uh, yeah. if... Now, if I wanted to, I I am no longer in the birth work world, yeah. but I yeah. could, yeah. I could. Wow. Well, certainly, all, all of your, quote, careers are, are like nourishing, creating. Yeah. Yeah. It feels that way to me. Well, yeah. Let, let's hear, a, hear one from the poetry world then. Sure. Um, so... I will, um, I'll start with a a poem called Our New House. Um, I'll just go ahead and read it. Mm -hmm. Our New House. She was gullet hungry and nearly skirted the plastic jaws smeared with local peanut butter, but they clamped shut as she scraped by, breaking both hind legs. We woke to relentless scratching in the kitchen 3 a.m. clamor as she dragged her body along the valley between stove and sink. We'd chosen quick-kill traps and already tossed two dead ones in the woods behind the house, their faces flat, tiny eyes bulging. But she didn't die. Instead, she curled into a question mark, tried to chew her body free, scurried across linoleum, desperate to escape herself. Was this a very early experience in the new house? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I yeah. live in the country. Now. I live in the country, right? <laughs> I live in the country. Although, you know, to be fair, when I was in the city, you know, we also had mice. But um, I think this kind of I'm always grateful when I have like kind of an awful traumatizing experience and then a poem comes out of it. Um, and this was one of those uh, yeah. gifts because um, it was, you know, it was horrific. It was a horrible, horrible thing to watch. And I think that so much of um, I have so much gratitude for being a writer and just yeah. being able to take these moments that are um that are so upsetting and awful and traumatizing um, and feel like I can bring something to the page um, that kind of honors that. Yeah, well, I'm thinking of a yin-yang. You get a light side to balance the dark. Yeah, yeah. With a poem. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Oh, read another. Um, This poem is called Siam Delight, um, and I... One of my obsessions is kind of alcoholism and addiction. Um, I grew up in uh, in an alcoholic home, and um, addiction and alcoholism have always kind of been in my in my consciousness. Um, so this is a poem uh, grappling with a, a loved one with addiction. This is actually about um, a former partner of mine. Um, so this is called Siam Delight. 
You've nodded out at dinner again, having just used or needing more, the shell of you collapsing. I want to trust your alphabet of lies, my denial a cardigan pulled over brown shoulders. I console you like a mother. I know love, I know. At the Thai restaurant, I push slippery noodles and steamed vegetables around my plate, watch you bob, a broken machine, your slow motion hand torpid towards your fork. You can't seem to find your mouth, so I flag down our waitress who pretends not to notice you're boneless. She presses our leftovers into neat white boxes, a perfect fit. Outside, August marinates our skin, evaporates my compassion. I stand under streetlights in a yellow dress, fling expletives at you, wet artillery rolls off your shrugging shoulders. You are enemy, slumped into yourself, an accident. I want to push you into traffic, make you disappear, until I remember you want that too. Of course, that ending. <laughs> uh, yeah. When, when you had that flash of yeah, of yeah, the line. yeah. It's um, it's so strange the way that the way that poems come about. I mean, I this is a poem that I wrote at um, at Cave Canem, and the structure of Cave Canem is uh, you write a poem every day. It's due at ten in the morning. You workshop it at two in the afternoon um, for six consecutive days um and that is not at all how I write (laughs) um I uh you know I labor and labor and labor over things I um I feel very self-conscious about people seeing my early drafts I mean I think that's true for a lot of writers um but I think the benefit is kind of um allowing these poems to come through that aren't so um that aren't so belabored. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that was one of those lucky last lines that um, that just came out. And it's the kind of last line, too, where it's just like, does that work? You know, like, there, there's a doubt there until some other people, like, hear it and resonate with it. And then it's like, oh, okay, good. That, yeah. that, that yeah. line stays. Some of those things, when they're new, you're wondering, well, is that really true? Or right. will, other, will other people believe it's true? Yeah. yeah. It, it could be true if they don't believe it. It doesn't work in the poem. Right. But, yeah, exactly. But when it's all there, you know, when you get that congruence. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's something that comes up for me, um, you know, when when struggling with the, the people I love who are alcoholics and addicts is... Um, is like that that pendulum swing of like compassion and also like how it's devastating for me to watch you do to this to yourself like why are you doing this um and so i appreciate about this poem that it kind of helped me focus into like the struggle you know addicts and alcoholics don't want to be addicts and alcoholics like they are suffering they're sick and suffering um and so i appreciate um and that my my dear friend and former partner that I wrote this about, he uh, read this recently, and he was like, "It's a really good poem." 
<laughs> which is good. like, you know, I appreciate. Yeah, you got it. Um, you yeah. You've got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, he's, he's, uh, recovering and, and well, and, um, it's nice to be able to share this with him, um, you know, a moment that we had yeah. however many years ago and feel like we're both in a, in a place of recovery. Yeah. So this is like that. The, the idea of a poem clarifying for yourself what you feel and are experiencing in a situation. Yeah. Because you write the poem. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think that um, the constraints of only having a short amount of time to write and yeah. also not really not really even having the time to be like, well, what do I want to write about? And like just being oh. like, I just have to write something. Um, you know, I think interesting things come yeah. through in those moments. You had mentioned about uh, how as you go along writing poetry in the years past, that you're uh, becoming braver and braver about confronting personal things. I think it's something like, uh, once you got out of your MFA program, you realized you had to stop writing about pine trees. Yeah, birch trees, like yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Um, yeah, I think, um, I think that, there's something really liberating about a a book coming out too because it's just kind of like I think initially when I started publishing I was publishing in um you know print and literary journals mm-hmm. that um that are lovely beautiful publications but that I'm also aware have a very um confined mm-hmm. readership um and not that I'm like you know blowing it up with this book but like I know that that this is more public in a way. Right. Um, and so I think uh, it's been really, it's been really helpful for me to, to let go of, um, you know, other people's expectations of the things that I write mm-hmm. about and my own expectations that I yeah. write about. Um, and I think especially in this moment, thinking about, um, I had, I was, I was at a restaurant the other day and the waiter was asking me questions and we were just chatting and I said, Oh, I'm a poet. And he said, do you write political poetry? Um, and I said, well, I don't really think they're political. (laughs) Like it doesn't, it doesn't feel political to me. Mm. Um, but also, you know, as a queer woman of color, when I'm writing about my experience or something, you know, the whole, like the personal is political. Um, yeah. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm always growing and becoming more willing to, to, to put stuff out there. Yeah, to let other people know what it is. Because writing to clarify yourself is still there. Right. But then you decide, oh, how public will I let this go? Right. And I think also watching the people, watching my poet heroes um, write about things that... Oh, um, who? Um, I mean... I'm thinking of um, I'm thinking of like dear dear friends of mine that are okay. that are beloved poets um, that are still my poet heroes like uh, John Great. Allen Taylor, Brian Janay, um, Camille Guthrie, okay. um, uh, but watching people uh-huh. write poems that really um, you know talk about trauma and addiction and. Um, you know, mental health and masturbation and, you know, all of these things that, uh, real parts of life. Yeah. Real parts of life that I think that sometimes we, um, get told that we can't talk about or that we can't write about. And, 
Um, it's been really helpful for me to to say there there are no rules that right. that hold me back yeah. from what I'm gonna say. It's very empowering. Same comes out next. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, let's do another then. Okay. Lovely. On anger. My white therapist calls it my edge. I hear angry black woman. She says strength of willful negative focus. She says acerbic intellectual temperament. I copy her words onto an index card. She wants an origin story, a stranger with his hand inside me or worse. I'm without linear narrative and cannot sate her. We perform rituals on her living room floor. I burn letters brimming with resentments, watch the paper ember in the fireplace, admit I don't want to let this go. What if anger, my armor, is embedded in the marrow of who I am? Who can I learn to be without it? Wherever you go, there you are. She asks what I will lose if I surrender. I imagine a gutted fish, silvery skin gleaming, emptied of itself. Yeah, that's an interesting fundamental question. If anybody looks at themselves with some characteristic that could be called undesirable. Yeah. But then what if it weren't there? Totally. It's exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, you know, I think also there's something about being a woman in particular that's like, you know, that that there's there's not really space for anger. The anger isn't something yeah. that I'm supposed to experience. Um, and I think that for a long time I just pretended I wasn't angry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which, as it turns out, is not a super healthy way to deal with anger. <laughs> <Not good>. Okay. <laughs> um, but it is interesting uh, to to think about that. Like, what is what does it look like? What does it look like mm-hmm. to? Um, yeah, what does it look like to let that go? Um, and I think when I think about this poem too, I think a lot about um, getting older, like the transition of uh, when I was. In my early 20s, I was a women's studies major and I was like very much an activist and a vegetarian and like had just come out and was very like um, just focused on on fighting. And I think um, trying to understand uh, as I get older, like how do I... um, how do I become the person that I want to be in the world and recognize the things that are happening that are problematic and also respond to them in ways that feel yeah. like they care for my own well-being and safety. Yeah. And, also, and also, of course, we have that good um, indignance of youth. Yeah. And, and, but you would lose that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So how can you do that without getting in a brawl? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think something too that, um, you know, I, I didn't, um, learn about meditation until I was, uh, further into my twenties and now 
I have a meditation practice that helps me Mm. so much just be a human on the planet. And, um, those were, you know, tools that I didn't have. Like, how do I, how do I stick with my breath? How do I find my breath in moments when it feels so challenging? Um, so I have to ask, have you tried forest bathing? I have tried forest bathing. All right. Well, yeah, you're the only person I've met who's also really? tried it. Oh, yeah. um, I have a dear friend that is a um, forest bathing practitioner, and uh, yeah, um, is oh. is a phenomenal leader. Yeah, cool. toadstool walks. Look it up. It's awesome. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> well, I just do it on my own, but once I read about it, I realized it's what I like to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. I don't, I don't want to go on big long hikes. I just want to be there. Yeah. So yeah, works for me. Yeah, <laughs> totally. It's good stuff. I didn't mean to... No, I had to ask. Yeah, totally. Cool. Okay. Well, fortunately, we do have time for another poem. That's wonderful. Okay. Um, I actually can I Are borrow gonna... that sure. copy? Okay, brilliant. Yeah. Thank you. Practice. I've forgotten the threat of my black body until I noticed the cashier's tattooed forearms. In his line for the second time, I watched the man with Aryan pride inked into his skin pass a bag of gala apples over the scanner. I live here now, tucked into a valley guarded by conifers. I train myself to abide my my chest caging its wing beat. Ahead, a woman places her white bread, chicken breasts, and Pepsi on the belt, lays a plastic bar between us. The man's plum polo shirt says Ted. I read his cerulean eyes, approach smiling, ask about his day. He smiles warmly, calls me ma'am. My teacher speaks of duck meditation, how waterfowl sit atop roiling waves. I find breath, stay present with my stirring in the lion's den. That, um, what I think is the phenomenon kind of embodying the whole experience is, you know, uh, living while being black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I mean, I, I, your poem made me try to think about my background, I remember one time being in a store where they really followed me around. Mm-hmm. And it was just, I was dressed kind of scruffy and it was an upscale store. And mm-hmm. it was like, whoa. Yeah. Creepy. They have that happen a lot. Oh, yeah. Or all the all time. The time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is. Yeah. Totally. But you said Vermont is being good to you. Vermont is You're being good it. to me. Vermont yeah. is being good to me. I, um, you know, I'm very grateful and it's interesting because um i feel uh i think there's also a part of like a self-protective part of me that um that also doesn't you know this this poem is about the second time that i'm in this person's line like Mm. this is not the first time i've seen um his Aryan pride tattoo and so then there's also this moment of like Okay, like this is That's what it is. Yeah, this is what it is, and I live here, and I would like to buy these things, please. So, like, you know, and I think what the poem is grappling with too is there's this there's this disconnect um, between 
what what I think someone represents or what someone is communicating to me that they think about my humanity and my personhood. Mm-hmm. Um, where when I'm actually in a a conversation with them, they're very warm and kind, and like you know, I think that I, um, you know. I think that when I give people the benefit of the doubt um, as much as I can, and I know that, like, sure. you know, I also have light skin privilege. Like, I am, yeah. I am a light skinned black woman, um, but I think that it has really helped me in this area to trust um, that that I can just uh, say to myself, you know, we're all. It'll be okay. It'll be. It'll be okay. Yeah. You know, God willing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Ray, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. We've been visiting with Rage Hezekiah. You're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm your host, Charlie Rouse. It'll be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm your host, Charlie Rouse. And we've been visiting with Rage Hezekiah here in Bennington, Vermont. And now we're going to go clear across the continent and north to Palmer, Alaska, to hear about a wonderful project called the Bright Lights Book Project. I had the chance recently to talk to Alice Colhane, who is the instigator of this marvelous project. She works in a recycling center, and she noticed that a lot of books headed for the shredder were books that... mm, she was pretty sure some people would like to read. It all began when she saw a copy of The Little Prince headed for the shredder. And that was the beginning of the Bright Lights Book Project. They started sorting the books and distributing them to various places around the community. That was back around in October they got started, but things really kicked up for the project when they had their own uh, solstice sale, book sale, and it was a huge success. We're going to join my interview with Alice right now and let her tell us more about the project. We decided, well, let's have a a, a, a solstice sale because that goes with bright light books. There you go. And we we trucked we trucked hundreds of books up the stairs and into the main the main area, and we displayed them as nicely as we could. And people came and people got got books. We were we were nearly cleaned out. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That is just super. Of books. How, how many uh, books? Now, yeah, how many books would you say you've uh, given yeah. out? I would say thousands, thousands. easily wow. thousands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so we also then, you know, obviously where we were working was really uh, substandard. So um, the staff uh, rallied and 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 cleaned out a a big, big, big closet area. And so we then have a a bookstore. And we made a sorting and distribution area. So we're now able to, to move the books through and and out the door. So you have a bookstore there where you sort them? There's a, a space where you can, it's a bookstore? Um, or is, we someplace have a, else you, yeah. We have a um, a separate room for, for the books. Oh, super. And, yeah, we have a room for the for the. I'd say that right now I'm thinking the best books, and then we have the sorting distribution area, which is in the warehouse, yeah. and there we have, and there we have um, the boxes of yeah. of books. Yeah. So oh, wow. we got the best, and then the bargain books. Where, where are some of the places you distribute? 
I think he oh, mentioned the airport, which sounded really great, you know. Yeah. And I don't know. Bill does the airport. Uh-huh. Bill does, does Sutton. Um, we've taken him. He also does the, the mission rescue and takes the books of faith there. And um, we've, we've taken him to, to local schools. We've parted with a lot of books, a lot of kids' books that way. And um, let's see, also uh, hospitals, um, nursing homes, any place we can think of. That's super. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Every, time I, every time I come to the end of a library sale, just it kind of breaks your heart to wonder where those right. books are going to go. Yeah, you know, it's just oof. right. So this is right. just a super thing to do with them. Well, the library, li- local library sale books seem to come here. Yeah, and um, I'm of the mind that a lot of time it's marketing and how you display that book or or interact with somebody, then that book actually gets gets a a place. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, you just yeah. have to care about. Uh, so, are are you a uh, what what what's your story? Are you just a super avid book lover reader? Uh, I'm a writer. Okay. Reader. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, my life revolves around books, and now at home, um, I have a pretty large collection, and I'm reading even more than I used to. Well, yeah. you have an endless supply now. It's just endless fabulous. supply. That's yeah. fabulous. Okay, well, this is great. I think we've got the basics here. To, uh-huh. uh, and the point is uh, to let people know about this project, the Bright Lights Book Project happening in Palmer, yeah. Alaska, right. and giving away thousands of books that would be just okay. destroyed, but they're going to people who are going to read them and appreciate them. Um, also, yeah. the, the plans are right now, um, in the next couple of days, because I just got back from a vacation, uh-huh. I'm going to... Um, contact uh, villages and native villages and, and the airlines and see if I can't get the books out there. Oh, super. Yeah. Super. Yeah. And, Great. And, uh, I mean, when you can... Somebody came in and she wanted dictionaries. Um, <laughs> she said anything after 1980. And a complete set of encyclopedias came in. And I was able to call her and say, oh, here, here are the encyclopedias. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah. So what I am learning from this is that um, I can be... Uh, discriminating, and I don't have to toss things I don't think people would be interested in, because if I can hang on to it long enough, somebody's going to take it. (laughs) Beautiful. You know, I'm Charlie Rossiter. You're listening to Poetry Spoken Here, and uh, we're talking to Alice Culhane up there in Palmer, Alaska. Be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com. <laughs>